Hey, this is Dan, just dropping you a quick line before you start this episode to let you know a couple of things. What you're about to listen to is one of the classic best of episodes of Assorted Goods in its older format. And by older format, I mean the sandbox and completely disorganized style that Assorted Goods was for its first few years of existence. Now, since then, the feed has been cleaned up and there's 12 of these classic episodes. And you should know, if you're a new listener, that these episodes are not really what the show is now. But they're still good and they're still worth listening to. But just be warned that if you're looking to get into assorted goods as it is now, that you probably want to go to the latest episode in your feed. Start listening from there. Throughout the episode, you might hear certain things get mentioned, like the website or the social media. Now, those have changed. So don't go chasing those websites or links after the episode. Go to these ones instead. The website has now disinformed.ca, CA for, you know, Canadians like me. And that's where you can find all the assorted good stuff that is mentioned in these episodes. You can find the source lists and additional information. They have all moved to there. In terms of emailing, you can email me now with the new email, dan at disinformed.ca. And if you want to follow on social media, Twitter and Instagram, the new handles are at disinformeddan. And hey, look, all three of those are kind of similar with each other, creating some sort of uh, continuity. People tell me that's important. But anyways, whether you're a new listener or a returning listener, I hope you enjoy this classic episode of Assorted Goods. And then I hope you subscribe to the show and come along for the ride with the new episodes as well. And as always, thank you for listening and enjoy. Podcast. Leave a rating and a review. Tell a friend. No. strange to me that one of the most enjoyable things in life is not actually being conscious. Really, there's just something about sleep. That peaceful escape from waking life that's just wonderful. Personally, I'm a heavy sleeper, and I'm a strong supporter of the afternoon nap. If I ever run for an election, my platform is going to be very nap-centric. In fact, I don't know if I've ever met someone who doesn't enjoy sleep. Now, as much as it would be nice to make an episode filled with nothing but peaceful sounds and music, and to encourage you to relax and drift off to sleepy land, this is a podcast where we try to be awake for it, and alert enough to try to figure out some sort of topic. Although, I easily will admit that maybe these long audio essay-style podcast episodes maybe sometimes have a bit of a sleepy effect. Hey, I'm not too proud to admit it. But if the alarm clock hasn't gone off for you yet, well... This episode is about sleep. Why in our short time alive do we spend about a third of it laying around unconscious, experiencing these weird mental hallucinations of nonsense where we're having an argument with our fourth grade teacher who has the head of a bumblebee while we're sitting in my college dorm room. Why are you so mad at me? I told you that flying monkey isn't mine. God. Anyways, the point being, what do we really understand about sleep? Why we need it? What goes on in our craniums once we've drifted off? There's seemingly a lot to know about sleep that very few people are aware of, myself included. So this episode, let's take a look at sleep and get to know a little more about the pastime that is one of the long list of things that keeps me from finishing episodes of this show. Hey, whoa, whoa, stay with me here. Oh, come on. Ugh. Fade out the sleepy music now. Come on, we're just getting started here. Wake up, wake up. This podcast is created in association with Verboten Productions and the No Phony Podcast Network. To learn more and find more great content, visit ForbotenProductions.com and NoPhonyNetwork.com. Oh, 
welcome to Assorted Goods. I'm Dan. Thank you for stopping by and settling in for another episode of the show, diving into a topic to learn a little more about the world. I hope you're doing well out there, staying safe and healthy. I really appreciate you lending me some of your time out of your day. And yes, this episode we're confronting the Sandman himself, sleep, and a look at what really goes on while we're snoozing. This is a topic that is dear to me, and maybe it's dear to you as well, because it really is amazing how little we know about sleep. But, ah, not for long. Assorted Goods is here to drop knowledge on the subject, so buckle up, settle in, get comfortable, but not too comfortable. You know, again, I really need you awake for the episode. But, hey, if you fell asleep, then maybe you just have to go back and hit play again and the show's numbers would get boosted. Hmm, not such a bad idea. Now, I just want to take a minute here and say for my regular listeners that I really appreciate you listening to Assorted Goods whenever you get around to the episodes. I break one of the golden rules of podcasting, that is, having a consistent release schedule for when the episodes come out. Assorted Goods is really settling into a it's-done-when-it's-done kind of schedule. That's the result of the complexity of the episodes, my work ethic and regular life, and the other podcast projects that I take part in. So, really, I know this show is a bit jumbled compared to other shows, so I want you to know that I really do appreciate you. And I don't take offense if it takes you months to listen. I'm just glad you're here at all. Now, if you'd like to support the black sheep of the podcast world that is Assorted Goods, then there's a few things you can do. You can tell someone about it, of course, or you can do the easy stuff. Leave it a rating or a review. Or if you're more ambitious, send some feedback directly to me at the pod's email, talkbox at assortedgoodspod.com, or you can click the contact page on the website, assortedgoodspod.com. Whatever you like. And lastly, if you really rock with Assorted Goods, you can check out the merchandise page on TeePublic. I can't lie, the merch is pretty solid. So give that a look too if you're that ambitious, which I really am amazed that anybody buys anything at all. And to everybody who does, thank you so much. Really, it's amazing. Anyways, let's get to the episode before I run the risk of putting you any further to sleep with all this talk of supporting the show. You came here for the goods, and I'm going to give them to you. So... Let's just dive into the episode. Going to bed at a regular time each night makes it easier for you to go right off to sleep instead of lying awake long into the night. Sleep comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes for people. Some folks are light sleepers. Some sleep heavy. Some snore. Some wake up over and over. Some have crazy dreams. Others hardly ever dream at all. Some function on barely any sleep, others can't ever seem to get enough. Personally, I'm of the heavy, snoring, can't-get-enough-of-it variety. The point is that people don't seem to experience sleep in a consistent way. Everyone is different. But whatever differences we may have, the fact remains, we all have to sleep. And we do it every day, sometimes more than once a day. Woo! Naps! Our bodies and our minds demand this sleep. Now, we feel sleepy, so we lay down, we go night-night, and we see some weird stuff dancing around our brains, and then a loud blaring sound jolts us awake in a timely manner in order for us to fulfill the responsibilities that life demands. Sound like life to you? But once we re-emerge from our slumber, we feel less sleepy than we laid down, of course. Well, maybe like an hour after once we've readapted to reality and had some coffee, more like. But what? That's it? We spend a third of our lives for that? can't all be so simple. Sleep can't just be this blissful unconsciousness it appears to be. Admittedly, not for all, I know. But whatever the case may be, the world goes to sleep, wakes up, and continues on whether the sleep is good or bad. But what do we really know about sleep? What do you know about sleep? Slowly, I'm getting to the point now, eh? Ah, my specialty. So, let's start with the basics then. Deploy the classic assorted goods technique of figuring out a topic, you know, a sort of who, what, where, when, why style of the basics. And a lot of that here feels pretty direct. Who? Well, all of us. What? Well, sleep is, you know, sleep. <laughs> Duh. But we're really going to be getting into the nitty gritty of the what as we go along through the episode. That's what the bulk of this whole thing is going to be. So then the when? Well, every day. Unless, of course, you're in college and you've got an essay due in the morning. All right, what about the where? Wherever we can, am I right? And finally, the why. Ah, the why. At last, this is a good place we can zero in on and really start things off for this episode. 
So then why do we sleep at all? It's the question we're going to begin with. Well, one of the things we have to note right off the bat here, and one of the reasons for this episode being made at all, is the fact that sleep, for a very long time, was never really understood or even properly researched. Throughout history, sleep was more linked to circadian rhythms, the cycles of human lives. You know, we slept at night because there was no light, nothing to do, no phones to stare at until the wee hours of the morning. And then humans would get up at the absolute butt crack of dawn because we had to make the most of the light that we did have in order to increase our chances of eating and surviving and all that classic human being stuff. Now, one of the things that seemed counterintuitive when I was thinking about sleep through the course of history was, isn't it a little counterintuitive to become unaware and unconscious for a long period of time every day? Doesn't it? I mean, from an evolution perspective, I mean. You aren't defending yourself very well from a damp tiger if you're off in dreamland. And yet, not just humans, but creatures of all kinds sleep. In fact, most creatures sleep. Although researchers are not sure yet if absolutely every creature sleeps, but so far it seems to be a pretty universal point. We're all in the same sleepy boat. And with the same variety, too. Some creatures have shorter sleep cycles. Others, like cats, for example, can sleep upwards of two-thirds of their lives. Lucky bastards. Now, some living beings, like horses and cows, can sometimes sleep standing up. Other creatures, like dolphins, for example, apparently can enter a half-sleep-type state called unihemispheric slow-wave sleep. Hey, I got that out all right. But this is where half of their brains are asleep, with one eye closed, while the other half is awake. So puts a whole new meaning to sleeping with one eye open. I know, it's the obvious joke to make, but... The purpose of that is for creatures that live in areas with a lot of predators, for example, so they don't get caught off guard. Or in the case of dolphins, so they can keep moving while migrating long distances. Jeez, imagine how productive we could all be if we could half-sleep, still get things done. Jealous. Now, one article I found actually made an interesting point, which was the idea that sleep creates a balance in nature. Sure, humans thousands of years ago, or any other number of creatures now, could be hunted while they sleep. And sure, it does happen. That's why there's some creatures that still need to sleep literally with one eye open. But predators also have to sleep too. If predators hunted all day and night without ever having to sleep, they would end up just hunting their food supplies into extinction. And then not long after, those predators would end up starving to death too. Now, is this based on any sort of scientific consideration of the actual why of sleep? Yeah, not really. It's kind of a flimsy premise, but... I still thought it was an interesting thought to consider, so we'll leave it at that. Now, human sleep patterns change over the course of history, too. Sleeping about eight hours a night is in our DNA, it seems. But we haven't always gotten those eight hours the same way. Centuries ago, people would catch their eight hours by way of two four-hour sleeping periods. The first would begin shortly after when the sun went down, and after four-ish hours of sleeping, people would apparently get back up for a little bit. Do things like think about their dreams, read by candlelight, even have sex. Sounds all right, actually. What changed this, though, was when streets of human communities began to be lit up at night. As these nighttime lights became more common, and as time went on more powerful, it became safer and more common to be outside at night. And so sleeping patterns began to change. People began to experience more of a nightlife. They went to bed later. And the two blocks of four hours got squished down into the single eight-hour sleep vest we go for now. The changes brought on by industrialization, the introduction of clocks everywhere, and the more precisely segmented timing of life helped shape our behaviors and our sleeping patterns as well. But alright, we still haven't answered the question of why do we sleep. If just about every living thing on earth does it, then what purpose does it serve? Beyond fixing the feeling of being sleepy... Well, as I said before, sleep was not understood for a long time because it was not properly studied. Part of that being the result of the perceptions people had of sleep. And this goes for humans and animals alike. Sleep was, for the most part, completely disregarded as something even worth studying. Only minimal research was done for a really long time. Before the middle of the 20th century, most of the examinations of sleep were in regards to dreams and dream interpretation, something that even today is still popular. We're always trying to find meaning in those scrambled brain movies we get. One popular belief for a long time was that sleep was brought on by the, quote, winding down of sensory stimulation in the later parts of the day and the evening. 
Basically, that idea was that daily life gets more boring when the sun goes down. And thus, you get sleepy. Which, I mean, come on. That's too easy an answer, isn't it? And yet, this is an idea that was floated and accepted. Stupid, lazy, old-timey scientists. Now, small bits of research were done over the centuries. In the 1700s, the discovery was made that creatures maintained their circadian rhythms even without the environmental cues of day and night. In the 1800s, some studies were done on narcolepsy, and through into the 1920s, there began to be some research that indicated that animals, and then later humans, experienced activity in their brains while sleeping, through the detection of brain waves. And this was probably the science community's first clue that sleep was not simply an inactive state where we just powered down into standby mode until sunrise. But the simple answer of why we sleep is because our bodies and our minds need the downtime. Chemical processes take place that maintain our mental and physical health. Being a human being is stressful. There's a lot we've got to do, a lot of information coming in, a lot of skills we're developing, energy being used up, muscles being broken down. So just like the idea that if a predatory species were awake 24-7 that they would hunt their prey to extinction, if human beings were awake all the time, we'd fall apart. And that's not really much of a surprise, though. I mean, have you ever been really sleep-deprived or tried to stay up all night? What happens? You get dopey, forgetful, clumsy. The machinery inside of us starts to run a little rickety. Studies into sleep conditions or the observation of people who can't sleep show the same problems. Sleep deprivation can lead to reduced cognitive abilities, poorer overall health in the form of obesity, reduced immunity response, an increase in stress hormones, and even the onset of wrinkles through the breakdown of collagen in your skin, creating that general sleepy look that people get when they haven't caught enough Zs. And as it turns out, a lot of what we do know about sleep is actually based on the study of deprivation and then working backwards. That is, seeing what goes wrong when you don't sleep and then taking a look at those aspects of the brain and body. We can think of sleep kind of like a time when the overnight crew comes in and tidies up the place a bit and then sets everything up for the next day. So then let's expand on some of those physical processes that occur while you're sleeping. Simple answers be damned. Now for one, your digestive system keeps running, along with your kidneys, both working to process the fluids and solids that are just passing through our insides, although they're both slowed down overnight. Also, hormones are released. For example, growth hormones, which are released in higher amounts in the developmental years for children and young adults, but they are also released even into adulthood. Thyroid hormone production increases as well, so does melatonin, while on the other hand, cortisol, the stress hormone, actually declines while you sleep, before actually rising again just before you wake up. Which again, no surprise there, eh? Ugh, back to being awake for life. Ugh, the worst part. Now, most things in our bodies slow down overnight. Our breathing, blood flow, our heart rates, for example, as well as our metabolic processes. And even some of our reflexes are suppressed too, such as coughing or sneezing. I mean, could you imagine if you sneezed in your sleep all the time? Oh man, rude awakening. But also our muscles relax. And when we enter the REM cycle of sleep, some of our muscles actually essentially freeze. Oh, and also when considering your muscles, for you heavy lifters out there, the release of growth hormones that happens during non-REM cycles of sleep assist in repairing damaged muscle tissue. So good sleep equals good gains, bro, for real. Now, just a brief stop to look at the cycles of sleep. Most of us know about rapid eye movement or REM sleep, but there are also three non-REM sleep cycles, usually just referred to as N1, N2, and N3. Now, in the N1 stage, this is where we're transitioning from being awake to asleep. Have you ever been falling asleep and then you get woken up and you swear you were never really asleep at all? Now, that's this stage, and it only lasts for about 5 or 10 minutes or so as we're drifting away. The N2 stage is where the processes in your body start to shift. Our temperatures drop a couple of degrees, the awareness of the world starts to fade away, your heart rate and breathing slows to a more stable pace, and this is where you'll spend about half of your sleep cycle overnight. Then there's the N3 stage, which is where more of what we just touched on takes place from the N2 stage. Blood pressure drops, your muscles relax, and your brain waves reach their slowest point. This is the deep sleep phase of the whole process. And actually, I should also make a note that throughout some of the research I did, 
I did see that some people consider there to be four stages of non-REM sleep, but it appears to just be sort of a different division of the levels of your body processes along the way, and it isn't something that I guess is totally set in stone. So I'll just leave that there as it is. Take it for what you will, I guess. So lastly, there's REM sleep. And this is where things pick up. Whereas in other stages of sleep, when everything is slowly starting to get slower and calmer and more relaxed, REM is actually where your brain activity kicks into higher gear. Blood flow increases to your old noggin. Your eyes begin to move a whole lot, hence the name of the stage. But breathing also picks up here again. And this is when those weird dreams take place. There's also an element of sexual arousal that happens in REM sleep. You know, your brain's always playing tricks on you, I guess. But on average, we spend about 20 to 25% of our nights in REM sleep. And while our brains are picking up the pace, our muscles become immobilized. Except for the muscles in our body that actually do the work of keeping us alive, for example. Kind of want those to stay on point, you know? But these cycles of sleep do exactly that. They cycle. We enter REM sleep multiple times per night, sometimes for shorter periods and then sometimes for longer ones. So then, okay, at this point of the episode, what have we figured out about why we sleep? Well, there's maintenance to do, bodily processes to go about, hormones to release, a whole bunch of stuff. Basically, we sleep because our bodies need a break and need to recharge, to bring it back to the simple explanation from all the stuff we just talked about. I like to get back to the simplicity, but... Research that's been done into the role that sleep plays through the millions of years of evolution that took place to create all the creatures we have now, plus humans. But all that research does indicate that another one of the functions of sleep was to just conserve or restore our energy levels. So, maintenance and energy conservation. Those two things seem to be the basis of the why question we have here this episode. Gotta keep things running. Basically, we give up a third of our lives so that we can be anywhere near as effective for the other two-thirds. The thing is, though, researchers still haven't settled into a concrete or simple answer to the question of why people sleep. It's just us here making that assumption. I'm like one of those people on YouTube, you know, I'm better than the scientists, I know more than them. But again, I just don't really get why this is the case. Why is there not an accepted reason for why people sleep? At a bunch of different points while I was researching and writing this episode, I kept reading that. Scientists don't really know why we sleep. But I kind of feel like the answer is there, right? Because there's a bunch of stuff our bodies need to do that they are too busy to do while we're out and about living life. So every night we close up shop and run our nightly routines to keep us from getting rusty and breaking down. Sorry to simplify us down to the level of a machine, but you get the point I'm making, I hope. Now to bring us back around to some of the smarty pants stuff, you know, the real research and academics, the episode needs it. But God, it would be so much easier just to be one of those YouTube people talking out their ass. Hmm, maybe someday. Anyways, some of the attempts at answering the why of sleep can actually be broken down into a few theories. And these theories touch on many of the points that we just went over. So one theory, first, was an early theory of why we sleep, where it was basically assumed that sleep was to keep us dormant through the night, when we as a species would have been much less safe. So sleep forces us to find a safe spot and lay low until it's light again, and then we could actually see dangers coming. Now, this was called the inactivity theory. Next, there's the energy conservation theory, which I'm sure you can see where this is going, but it actually builds off the inactivity theory by suggesting that we sleep in order to save our energy so we can get back to surviving the following day, which, yeah, I know, really? But anyway, as we mentioned, our body's metabolic processes do slow down, so there is science to back that theory up, of course. And then next, we have the restorative theories, which touch on the fact that hormones get released, muscles repair, and even the fact that neural activity throughout the day releases a chemical called adenosine, which some research suggests may contribute to the feeling of sleepiness that we get at the end of the day. And so the restorative theories point to this clearing out of adenosine as part of what allows us to wake up and not feel sleepy anymore. Our last contestant in the theory category is the brain plasticity theory. This one focuses in on what takes place in the brain specifically and suggests that we sleep because the brain needs to organize and change in order to function correctly as we go on in our lives. And when we're younger, it's even more important during sleep because this is when our brains are developing and actually changing into who we become when we're older. Although that's not always a process that works out perfectly. 
And this theory is one that I want you to keep in your head a little bit as we get into the second half of the episode. The concept of the brain being malleable, changeable, something that needs to organize and shift around as we sleep. Just leave it at that. We'll get back to it. But now, these theories are all interesting in their own way. But again, I'm going to try to drop kick science here because, again, I don't think the answer is one theory or another. To me, it's a little bit of all of them. We sleep for all of these reasons. The hormones, the muscle repair, the chemical buildups and releases, the settling and organizing of our brains. I'm creating the assorted goods theory of sleep. It's all of it. Our bodies are incredibly complicated and our brains even more so. So once more I say, we sleep for all of these reasons. That's my answer to the question of why. It's so we can continue to be functioning creatures, humans and all the other creatures that exist really, but... This unconscious downtime seems to be part of being a living creature. So that's my theory. And damn it, I'm sticking to it. Take that, science! Pfft. Give me the Nobel Prize. Uh, thank you! Now, the jump-off point for me wanting to write this episode, though, was actually to focus in on one specific part of the topic. Seriously, I did actually have an initial reason for wanting to talk about sleep. But that part of our nightly sleep routines, when the activity in our brains pick up, or when in REM sleep, we go from slowly falling further and further into the abyss of unconsciousness, and then suddenly our brains kick back into gear, that was the part that got the gear spinning for me. To me, it seemed like there was more to it. And so, that's where we're going to go. Spoiler alert, I guess. But we've taken the time to establish a nice foundation of knowing all about the basics of sleep. Why we do it, what's going on in there. But... It's what's going on in our brains that's really interesting to me. And I'll start with a story. When I was in the 10th grade, I had to memorize a monologue from Romeo and Juliet. And being the high-quality student that I have always been for my whole life, I put it off for, let's say, too long. Anyways, the night before I had to present, couldn't remember this monologue. For the life of me, I could not get past, like, three lines of it at most. I kept trying. The night went on. Still nothing. Got nothing. And now I'm burnt out. And sleepy mode was kicking in. So I read and I read and I read and I read until I fell asleep literally with the book on me. You know, it's very cliche, I know. But I was desperate to avoid having to show up in the class in the morning with my tail between my legs, embarrassing myself in front of the class or having to tell the teacher I can't do it. But what happened in the morning? Well, I got up, jumped in the shower, and suddenly I knew every line. But soft, what light through yonder window breaks? It is the east, and Juliet is the sun, and I'll spare you the rest of it. Also, at even nearly 30 years old now, I giggle. The start of that line is, but soft. <laughs> but soft. <laughs> right. Now, at the time, it amazed me. I couldn't remember the lines when I passed out for the night, and then when I woke up, suddenly I was a regular old Billy Shakespeare. What happened in my head to make this possible? Now, there's a good chance you've experienced this before, too. Studying right before you sleep is actually a good way to remember things. Except, you know, now we just scroll on our phones for an hour before bed, so I guess we remember a lot of dope memes when we wake up. Now, it turns out that it wasn't the high school gods simply taking it easy on my otherwise cursed ass for one night. It turns out that while we're sleeping, our brains, they're at work. There's a lot more going on between our ears than we realize. Our bodies aren't simply performing maintenance. Our brains are also keeping the out-of-control waterfall of information, learning, skill development, memory, and more, all organized and stable enough so that we can continue as functioning creatures. In the second half of the episode, we're focusing on the brain and all the heavy lifting it's doing for us while we're sleeping. And believe me, we ought to be thankful for our brains doing all that work, which is a bit ironic because our brains are us in a way, so we're really thanking ourselves. Now, that doesn't sound like me. I'm pretty sure my brain is operating on its own schedule most of the time, which is probably why I can never seem to wrangle it into being productive. Yeah, I'm talking to you, stupid brain. Anyways, we're going to take a quick break, hear some messages from some of my friends in the podcasting community, and on the other side, the secrets of the work our brains do while we sleep. So stick around or take a quick nap and let the information of the first half really sink in. Trust me, you'll know it better. Either way, come back for the second half of the episode. There's more assorted goods coming right up. I'll see you in a moment.
Well, it finally happened. You woke up, and it hit you. The holidays are over. The lights are coming down, the radio is going back to playing the latest in a long line of hit singles that all sound like the same song about going to the club to get crunk, and the long, gray, dull, wet, cold, depressing months of January and February stretch out before you. Wouldn't it be nice if the holidays didn't come once a year, but every week? On Jacob Marley is Dead, we believe that the holidays shouldn't just be here and gone, but that they should remain in our hearts all the year. That is why each week we watch, review, discuss, and compare one of the many, many, many TV and film adaptations of Charles Dickens' classic novella, A Christmas Carol. Join us as we spiral a Groundhog Day-esque existential nightmare by reviewing the same story every week in perpetuity, and decide which adaptations we see in our Christmas future, and which ones should definitely remain in our Christmas past. Subscribe to Jacob Marley is Dead on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Mouse. I'm Weens. And we are two sisters with the Mouse and Weens podcast. Nice and clear. <laughs> Come take a listen. It's fun. We talk about life, love, and pubic hair. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> and all sorts of fun family memories and stuff. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> We're on all the platforms. And we hope you take a listen. Bye. Hey, what's going on, good people? I am Marcel. I am your resident DJ. I am the guru of sound. Uh, one thing about me, I am the family man of the show. What's up, y'all? This is Big Lowe's, a.k.a. Mr. Crop Circle himself. I'm the overweight lover that will send you down a rabbit hole of conspiracy theories. Sometimes I think before I speak, but it's me, baby. I'm your boy, Drew. I'm your craft beer swilling, willing to discuss any open subject. And for who we are, we are three brothers with a lot to say. This is barbershop talk for the 80s and 90s, babies. We love to crack jokes and have fun. And also, we do have some serious points as well, too. These are our views on things that you may or may not agree on. So welcome to the chair. Sit back and relax. Because at the end of the day, we, we are, are Divers and Haircuts. Follow us at DNH Podcast, Twitter, Facebook, IG. Email us at dnhpodcast2019 at gmail.com. Dreams don't seem to make much sense, do they? That's because the brain is resting along with the body. So it's less alert when you sleep. You're right, old-timey documentary guy. Dreams don't make much sense. And as we touched on in the first half, for centuries, much of what we knew about our brains while we slept was focusing on dreams and the importance we placed on them. What's really wild is that even after centuries of mostly focusing on dreams, they're actually one of the things that we apparently still know the least about. The study of sleep over the past century has revealed a whole bunch of the mysteries of what happens when we sleep, that we mentioned already, but dreams, still mostly lacking any real explanation, depending on who you ask, of course. Some people will tell you they're actually meaningful for one reason or another, and those reasons are usually focused on interpreting the narrative of the nonsense that comes into our heads. There's a bunch of books on the matter, too. And I'm probably pretty solidly in the category of a person who's skeptical of that kind of thing. Although if scientists are still puzzled by dreams, too, then what do I know? More power to you if you draw meaning from them. I've been unusually hard on the science community this episode. I feel dirty. Not the good kind of dirty. But I think it's because when I dove into this topic, I didn't expect so many of the answers I went looking for to have, well, we kind of don't really know, as the currently accepted answer. But I guess, you know, I work with what I've got, right? Anyways, let me open myself back up to the smarty pants stuff as we get into what the second half of the episode is all about. In the last couple of decades, researchers have begun to discover some of what is actually going on in our heads while we sleep. Back in the first half of the episode, we touched on the fact that in the earlier days of sleep research, people began to notice that there were active brain waves in people's heads even while they were sleeping. And that, as it turned out, sleep was not just some dormant state where we just powered down. Also, 
We know that throughout the night, our brain activity picks up when we enter REM sleep. But that doesn't mean that our brains are only at work in that phase. So now for some of that science. Back in 2000, a group of sleep researchers took three groups of participants and had them play Tetris for a total of seven hours over three days. Doesn't sound so bad, but one group had people who had never played Tetris before. One group was people who were familiar with the game. And the third group was of people who had a form of amnesia with extensive brain damage that didn't allow them to form memories properly. The researchers had participants play the game before sleep and then woke them up once they were sleeping and asked them to recall what they were dreaming about. And as it turns out, they were often dreaming of Tetris. Ooh, what a turn of events. I'm not just bad-mouthing dream interpretation when, it turns out, there may be some explanation behind them after all. Ooh, look at me. Now, all right, the thing about the study was that even the group of people with the amnesia were also experiencing Tetris dreams, although they didn't remember all the parts of being in the study come morning, but they would still recall having dreams of falling shapes, although they couldn't figure out why, obviously, and this was in spite of them not having any memory of actually performing the experiments or being woken up at night by some annoying scientists. It's not an experiment I'd want to be a part of. I mean, come on, let me sleep, please. But the meaning of this study? Well, it's that when we go to sleep, our brains get to work organizing the information we took in during the day, trying to make sense of it all. Like my Shakespeare presentation. I overloaded myself with Romeo and Juliet. And when I fell asleep, my brain got to work and organized the words into a functioning memory of the monologue that was usable to me when I woke up in the morning. Although I don't know if my brain is still quite that efficient anymore because of, well, reasons. Now, another study. This one in 2013 was headed by one of the researchers from that study in 2000, a man named Dr. Robert Stickold, who is a leading expert on the relationship between learning and sleep. But in 2013, Dr. Stickold, along with a group of researchers, published another study in which they followed up on the same topic. After over a decade of further research having been done on the subject of sleep and learning, Dr. Stickold found that the brain does actually consolidate memory during sleep. But it can also be really picky. Our brains don't take in and store everything we learn throughout the day. I mean, our brains do have some sort of storage capacity and limits to their capabilities. So after the day is done, some things get left behind, even useful information. Some memory formations that happen while we sleep are based on emotional connections. And at other times, our brains sift through otherwise meaningless information to see if there happened to be anything important to notice, doing the best they can, of course. And I'm sure the capabilities of a person's brain to organize information at night is as varied as people's general sleep habits. Now, here's a few quotes I pulled from this study itself. I'm going to let the qualified people sort of speak for themselves for a moment. Now, the first is, quote, Memories of recent experience appear nightly in the content of our dreams, while animal research demonstrates that pre-sleep experience is literally replayed on a cellular level during post-learning sleep. And here's a little bit more, quote, There is strong evidence that at least one function of sleep is to consolidate fragile new memory traces into more permanent forms of long-term storage, integrating key features of recent experience with existing remote and semantic memory networks. Geez, those direct quotes are a lot more wordy, aren't they? <laughs> but one thing to take from those quotes is that, again, I'm backtracking here on dreams a bit, and maybe your own experience can back this up as well, but dreams do often contain pieces of recent experience from the day before. Yes, often mixed with other bits of random information or memories, but the most recent pieces of our days do slip in there. I know if I binge watch a TV show, there's a decent chance that my dream that night will have some sort of element from that show in them, and those results certainly vary. Although, the subject of dreams and memory consolidation is not fully understood. This appears to be what is happening when we run through those cycles of sleep. Our memory banks open up, and the clerical staff in our brains get to sorting, reviewing, filing, whatever it can in the limited time we have every night. In the process of replaying the events of the day, recalling the information and skills learned, and trying to file everything accordingly, other memories are likely accessed in the process, and we get that weird mashup of nonsensical experiences playing in our head while we sleep. Oftentimes a mashup of something recent with something really out of place that may be much further back in our memory. 
Now, back to some of the science here, but when we take in lots of complex information, our brains apparently look to recognize consistencies between all the pieces of information we've taken in. It's a sort of pattern recognition mechanism that's used in order to be as efficient as possible at coming away with something actually useful from all the input we get throughout the day. Our brains can't hammer down every detail of everything we've learned. Geez, could you imagine if they could? But our brains will give us some sort of general principles to run with. And this is what dreaming is, according to Dr. Stickle. Neural hallucinations that are the result of the sifting process of information and their details. The bottom line, sleep and memory have a relationship, and together they try to keep the input we get throughout the day in order to some degree, and then set us up to face the world and go through it all again the next day. And this is a pretty solid explanation for dreams to work with, I would think, even if it's not a widely accepted answer as of yet. Which I know, it does also kind of suck the fun out of dreams, I guess, that they're just, you know, the result of sorting information overnight. But, you know, I mean, I know I do, and I'm sure other people still do, like to draw some sort of meaning out of the dreams they experience at night. Even if my brain likes to mostly torture me with stressful dreams or ones where you always wake up right before the good part. Stupid brain. Now, one other point to make here is that although brain activity picks up during the REM cycle of sleep, that's not necessarily when all the work starts being done. Research suggests that both REM and non-REM sleep cycles have a role to play in memory consolidation and learning processes. Neither can truly hog all the glory at this stage of things. Now, more studies. I'm going to keep throwing them at you, but really that's again because there hasn't been a lot of research done even to this day on the brain processes of sleep. And what studies have been done have had some interesting outcomes. Maybe I'm just hoping to inspire more research into the subject in the future. Yeah, that's the kind of power I imagine this podcast having. But there was a thought that I just kept coming back to throughout the course of this episode, and you know, it's the fact that we're always being told how important sleep is, you know, oh, you got to get seven or eight hours a night and it's an absolute must or your life will fall apart and you'll be unhealthy and all this terrible stuff. I mean, we know that we need to have good sleep and we know that if we are sleep deprived that our general health will take a hit. But a lot of what we're touching on here in the second half of the episode is about how there may be more potential to how we spend, and I'll say it again, one third of our lives, but the fact that in this day and age we can't fully explain even dreaming and that we're still only discovering the ways a good sleep can make us remember better, learn more, flat out be smarter human beings, all the advancements we make in technology, everything else, but we've got barely any clue about sleep. Seems wrong, a little off, you know, but it's just me ranting again, so let's move on and I'm going to get you back to some of these studies here. Now, a paper published in 2004 took a group of participants and had them complete a set of tasks which required them to respond to a stimulus. For example, pressing a computer key when something appears on a screen. Keeping it simple, I know. And true story, I actually did an experiment just like that when I was in college, and it was extremely stressful on my eyeballs. It's all I can really remember now. But the thing is, though, that the tasks that these participants were supposed to perform got harder as the study went on and participants did improve as they gained more experience throughout the experiment. But there was an underlying pattern, or a shortcut, I guess, in these tasks that would allow participants to complete them much faster. Basically, there was a way to complete these hand-eye tasks that didn't require so much work and training and progression of their skills. So, one group performed the tasks and then stayed awake. The other group slept right after. Oh boy, can you see where this is going? But what they found was that the people who slept discovered the shortcut or the pattern underlying in the experiment twice as often as those who stayed awake. The point of this one being that essentially when you sleep, your brain is taking those memories and input from the experience and then working on the problem and sifting through the information until it tries to find something useful or recognizes a pattern. And then when we come back later, woken up again, hey, we've got it. It's a nice idea, isn't it? Now, this is not to say that sleeping will turn us all into geniuses. I mean, have you seen the world? Yeah, probably not happening. But it is something that I think many of us have experienced. Again, with my high school Shakespeare incident. Sometimes you just wake up thinking clear and ready to tackle a problem again. And when you do, 
Suddenly, there are new ways to approach things that you hadn't realized the day before. Maybe you were up late trying to solve a problem or come up with an idea, and you know, you just give up for the night and hit the sack. It's easy to just assume that you came back the next day and made more progress because, well, you weren't tired anymore. And yeah, there are pieces to the physical and mental rejuvenation aspects of sleep that work there too, and the clearing of chemical buildups in our brain and so on and so on, conservation of energy, all that. But also, as it turns out, your brain was actually at work overnight taking all that information and trying to put it together in a way that you could do something with it. It's kind of a nice sidekick there. Thanks, brain. This time. Now, there are countless stories of prize-winning scientists or artists solving problems or finally getting the idea they had been searching for, quote, in a dream, when, more likely, in reality, their brains in the course of a night took information that had been swirling around inside their heads and sorted it out and stored it in a way that they hadn't been able to when they were awake. Our brains screw us over quite often. See, talking to you again there, my brain. But they can also come through in the clutch, give us creative ideas, insight into solving a problem, all on top of the chemical and physical maintenance that they do as well. Which is why, people are always harping on us, getting a good night's sleep is so important. A lesson that I know I also still haven't totally learned myself. Now, get this. Apparently, even short naps are good for your memory retention and consolidation. Woo! Another win for naps! Also, the time between learning and sleep appears to be very important. So, when you study until you fall asleep, that information is still fresh in your mind and hasn't faded away all evening while you watch Netflix for hours or spam a bunch of text messages to your friends. There really is something to using the nightly dream factory to your advantage. And how bomb is that? You get to sleep, which is awesome. You get to have weird sleep hallucinations. Results may vary, of course, but... And your brain is working to make you smarter. I mean, oh, come on. Wow, we're just chalking up wins for sleep left and right here this episode. So when someone says to me, wow, Dan, you sleep a lot, I can say back, hey, I'm just working on my memory consolidation and learning. <sighs> it's no wonder I'm not popular. Now, there's one other theory I want to touch on here, and this one sort of touches on a broader point of the role our brains play during sleep. Now, this theory is called the synaptic homeostasis hypothesis, and yeah, I got to take that one slow with the big words and all, but the theory is similar to the one that we mentioned back before the end of the first half of the episode, the brain plasticity theory, remember? That was the one that said that the brain needs time at night to be able to change and develop. Well, the synaptic homeostasis hypothesis, hey, I got it again, two for two, but it suggests that the reason we sleep at all is the price we pay for having brains that are so flexible, so able to learn new information, new skills, form new memories constantly. And I'll try to expand without making this too complicated here, but the suggestion in this theory is that when our brains are working throughout the day, the neurons are firing over and over to run the whole machine inside our skulls. But specific neurons fire, depending on the situation. As the day goes on, our brains have been firing away, and eventually they get overloaded from all the information coming in. The idea is that all the work going on in our brains throughout the course of a day creates a buildup of stress on our neurons. Specifically, again, whichever ones were being worked that particular day, depending on the situation and all that. And that also depends on the experiences we had. And as a result, we need to give them a chance to have a breather every night, to have their own sort of refreshing period and do the sorting that we've mentioned before. Also just to relax and settle down, kick back before they got to get into gear again the next day. The synaptic homeostasis theory also points to the slowing of brain waves during sleep as an example of how our brain reduces the buildup of what the researchers refer to in this case as synaptic weight, and that a buildup of stress on neurons, or that weight, causes an increase in energy usage by those overworked neurons. So, the more that a certain neuron fires in our brains, the more energy they're going to need to carry the load that they've built up throughout the day. As a result, the stress levels on those neurons need to come back down to a manageable level overnight. It's kind of a rebalancing of the brain sort of thing. And this theory touches on another way of thinking of this concept too. That being that, if our brains were working away all day, firing away in certain areas of our cranium, and they just kept firing and firing and building up that stress and then increasing their energy demands, strengthening certain neurons only, but leaving others behind, and then we didn't 
have the chance during sleep to level out the stress on these neurons, then what could happen over time is that the neurons being used would build up too much, and the ones that weren't being used as much would get all their energy resources taken away and would wither away from not being used as much. So a good example that I found while researching this to, to think about this problem and explain it a little bit went like this. Basically, if you met a new person today, you know, you talk to them for a while, get to know them, your brain would be at work making note of all this information, what they look like, their voice, their social cues and mannerisms, the emotional feeling you got from interacting with this person, the information about themselves as well, all of it, really. Your brain is firing a way to store all that information. And if our brains didn't slow down every night and refresh and regroup, settle down those neurons that worked harder this particular day, then tomorrow you may remember all that stuff about your new friend, but you may have then forgotten a bunch about your old friends because those neurons weren't active and all the energy had been diverted to recently overloaded neurons. The thought being that we need our brains to bring the level of neural stress across our brains back down to a balanced level so that the brain can remain flexible, ready to take in a new day of information and also not lose all that we've already worked so hard to store. And just to draw back to a point we made a little while ago there, this is probably why our brains aren't perfect at storing and remembering everything we take in throughout the day. Because again, they only have so much capacity. Can't be expected to remember everything and then still be functionable the next day. I mean, if we were that capable, we'd probably be a very different species in the end. But anyways, the researchers on synaptic homeostasis theory suggest that this is what we get for having the brains we have. And that this is the result of evolution, giving us brains that are able to learn and be reshaped across a whole lot of different complicated learning processes, and not just end up being specialized to one thing. You know, maybe if we had different brains, we could learn calculus in a day, but then forget how to tie our shoes in the process. Because, you know, hey, we hadn't tied our shoes today yet, so it's ancient news. Bye! It's probably an exaggeration, but, you know, no scientists, and that happens around here on this podcast. But... It also seems like your brain wants this chance to settle its neurons and do all of that clearing out of certain chemical buildups that do all that memory filing. I mean, think about it. All right, at the end of a long day, you get off work. What do you want to do? You want to unwind, take a little time. But your brain hasn't had its chance to unwind at the end of the day yet. And that's where sleep comes in. And thinking back on all we've talked about this episode, we mentioned all the pieces of the why of sleep. But... It's a brain part that I've been so interested in. Like recently I started a new job and it's been a steep learning curve. Ton of new information, not much time to learn it and apply it. My days have become much more mentally taxing. At the same time, they've been much more physically settled. I don't move a lot when I'm working from home at a desk all day. But regardless, over the past few weeks, I've been far more tired at night and at earlier times too. I'm sleeping like a baby over here. And I'm sure my brain is trying hard to keep up with all the new information I'm learning, along with all the information from working on a couple of different podcasts too. This old brain of mine is working hard and doing a pretty lousy job sometimes, if I must say. All right, okay, I know. I'm being a little hard on you, brain. We've had some great times together, you know that? <laughs> no, shh, not while there's listeners here. Anyways, but this is another thing that I think a lot of people can agree on too. Sure, banging out a solid workout for a couple hours might make you nice and physically worn out at the end of the day, but having a mentally taxing day has the same effect. So to draw back to what I mentioned in the first half of the episode, we need sleep because whether it's more physical or mental, we need to recharge. Our bodies need to clean up and repair and perform that maintenance so that we have a chance to attack the next day of our lives, do new things, meet new people, learn new skills just seems to be part of the deal of being a living creature on this planet, whether we're talking about humans or any of the other number of living species that also sleep. And that deal appears to be that you have to give up some portion of your life in order to be able to function in the rest of your waking existence in whatever capacity that may be. There's always got to be this sort of give and take, I suppose, sort of a balance of the universe sort of thing. But let's not go down that rabbit hole right now. But do we feel like we figured out a little bit more about sleep in this episode? Our favorite way to escape the stress of life? Look, I know that getting a good night's sleep is not easy for a lot of people, and this subject is probably the third episode in a row where I'll harp on some point of better behaviors that I absolutely cannot manage to apply to my own life. 
But hey, don't worry about me. If you can shift some of your habits to being more productive, healthier, whatever the case, then go for it. Don't let me have to lead by example. Listen to what I'm telling you. Sleep is very important, and a good routine leading into sleep, winding down at the end of the day, is equally important as well. There's a lot of ways to keep ourselves up at night. Falling asleep with the TV on, staring at our phones right up until we close our eyes, eating late at night, always going to bed at different times, all things that I do way too much. But what's happening is that we're missing out on a valuable process that we have at our disposal every single day that can enhance our physical health, and our mental capabilities. How much more focused, sharp, and alert would you be for a day of work or for taking care of your kids or to pursue your creative hobbies if you were getting better sleep, letting your brain work on the important stuff and sorting out the information you've taken in? Things can get a little messy inside those brains of ours, but we get the chance every day to get them a little bit more sorted out. I feel like I'm preaching here a little bit at the end of the episode, but I'm starting to believe in the power of sleep. Researching and writing this episode has put me in that mindset. Will I change my habits? I don't know. Again, the past few episodes haven't completely changed my life at all, but they've put some thoughts in my head that I certainly consider more now than I ever did before. And who knows? Maybe I have changed, but maybe it's been a lot slower than I would have hoped to. So we need to build good routines, get into a habit of getting a good night's sleep, and making the changes needed in order to do so. Even if they're small baby steps, you know, take a step today and feel good about completing it, really. It can go a long way and add up over time. I guess that's my parting advice at the end of this episode. Sleep recharges us. It enables us to be ready for the next day and making sure we can get the best quality sleep is really important. I know life is stressful and falling asleep is far from being easy for most of us. But we can reevaluate our habits so that we might end up increasing the quality of sleep we get and end up in turn then reaping a few more of the mental benefits that good sleep can give. And whether or not this episode makes a difference, I don't know. But I hope it got some of the wheels spinning for you and maybe, just maybe, we'll all do a little bit better. It's kind of the point of this, isn't it? That's what I'm just going to tell myself. But anyways, I want to thank you for stopping by for this episode of Assorted Goods. I appreciate you lending me your time and, hey, wait, are you sleeping through this whole episode? God damn it. Hey, yeah, it's the end of the episode. You missed it. Well, then go back and hit play again and listen to it through, Sleepy. You don't know what you're missing. I mean, geez, you know, you put a podcast together and then people just pass Going out. to bed at a regular time each night makes it easier for you to go right off to sleep instead of lying awake long into the night. Thanks again for stopping by for this episode. Make sure to visit assortedgoodspod.com for a list of all the sources used to write this episode. You can follow Assorted Goods on Twitter, at assortedgoodspc, or on Instagram, at assortedgoodspod. You can email the podcast with any questions, comments, feedback, anything you got at all at talkbox at assortedgoodspod.com or to make it easy, just hit the contact link on the podcast website. If you like Assorted Goods, recommend it to a friend. Word of mouth really helps to spread podcasts like this one, and I appreciate any support you can give always. And as always, all credit for the information in this episode goes to the sources used to write the show, and any extra flair by me is mostly just my attempt at making the show sound interesting. Results definitely vary there as well. Consider supporting quality journalism and content wherever you find it out there. Thanks again. I hope you'll be back for the next episode. Until then, be safe, take care of each other, and try to get a good night's sleep. See you next time. And the echoes slow Suddenly now Still beneath the hills Cannot compare to such a scene You know it Spires burn in timeless turning Flames beneath blood-red skies and
is part of the No Phony Podcast Network, the home of independent awesomeness.